I wonder if you know the most uh, popular hymn ever. The most popular hymn. Uh, it is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace has been translated into more than 50 languages. Uh, it was written in uh, 1779. And a song that was written about 250 years ago, the question is asked, why is it so popular? Maybe because, like John Newton, those of us who sing it have experienced that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me was blind, but now I see. John Newton, who wrote that song, was 24 when he, along, he had followed his father's footstep to become a slave trader. So he would scour the African coast to kidnap and to sell Africans and even... Even the life in the ship was quite depraved. And one day, as he was scouring for, uh, for profit, uh, his ship came into a storm, and they thought they are going to perish. And in the middle of that uh, storm, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And for the next 11 hours, as they steered the ship into a calmer sea, uh, he realized that that night was when grace appeared to him because of that night. And then, as after he reaches the, the coast, he gives it up. He actually becomes a church planter. He actually is also partnered with um, uh, Wilberforce uh, in being, uh, in being uh, an active participant so that slavery would be abolished in England. The grace of God that appeared to him. And so with that, I want to turn your attention to a key passage, key uh, verse uh, for our retreat, which is Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. Uh, we'll focus more on 11 and 12. Uh, during this session, we'll come back, uh, God willing, for the next session and go look at the, the rest of that. But let me read to you Titus chapter 2, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. Is there anybody who learned this, uh, can recite this out of memory? Okay, I'm going to challenge, and I did it, but I'm not going to try it. I'm going to read it, okay? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So I want to call this Transformed by Grace. In the three sessions that we looked Till now, we saw the first session that uh, if, if we're going to talk about hope, hope must be uh, established in God. Unless there is God, there is no real hope. And then we recognize that this is nurtured, this hope is nurtured through the Word of God, through the true sound doctrine. And then in the last session that we saw that as, as this has been nurtured, uh, we got to live this out, and we do, do that through discipleship. So, 
the idea really here is like we each of us bringing, you know, sometimes you do this, right? In camps, uh, you bring our candles, light a candle, and it shines brighter. That's the kind of idea that's happening here, that each of us coming closer into a community, into a household. And, and, and so when we stop there, you might start to think, oh my, I've got something else to do. I, I, you're, you're adding another ball to this juggle that I already have. I've got a busy life. I start in the morning, end at midnight. I don't have time, but now you're adding something else. I can't do this. Discipleship, therefore, is seen as an addition to, to your busy life already. Uh, you start to think about it as an effort that you have to put, and true, it is an effort, but does it stop there? And I want to... Uh, say to you that no, it does not, because of this passage that we just read of grace that we have. Let me just pray, and then we'll continue. Father, we want to thank you again, Lord. Thank you for grace. <laughs> thank you, Father, that, that um, for all that we have received from you, and particularly, Lord, your Son, and as we ponder on this word that you've given us, Clarify for us, Lord, um, the truths from your word. Help us, Lord, to see your son uh, in a brighter way, in a glorious way. Open our eyes so that we can behold the wondrous things from your word. We thank you again in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. How, how, how do we define grace? If, it, if I were to ask you define grace, what would you say? Grace is? unmerited favor or getting what I don't deserve, right? And, and, and we stop at that, but really, what does that mean? Grace, that I've gotten something I didn't deserve. But I want to suggest to you that's limiting the scope of grace. There's more to grace than just saying that I've received what I didn't deserve. And yes, you have received what you didn't deserve. That's not wrong, but is it just that? And, and so what I want to do is, from this passage, look at three things about grace, that we have grace without discrimination, grace through incarnation, and grace without demarcation or without limit. Uh, we'll come back and spend a little more time on the third one, but we have grace without discrimination. And I think this is important for us to remember. It's so important because what we want to say here is it brings salvation to all people without discrimination. You may be a wretched slave trader or somebody who was born in a Christian family, but you need grace. It doesn't matter who you are, you need grace. It doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or, uh, I don't know, you make your own contrast, but you need grace. You need grace. Uh, you might think about this grace as the same thing that the slave trader needed and the slave needed. We are slaves to, we were slaves to sin. And we need grace. This grace, uh, Paul is writing, had appeared to Crete. And we saw what Crete was all about. Crete in the island of Crete, it was all about self-effort. It's all about success. It's all about at all costs to be successful. And there comes this grace. The power of this grace in a place that they believed that man could become God through success. 
this gospel that where man, where God became man and this man who died on the cross now that is a very foolish thought for, to the greek because how we want a superman we all want a superman one of the questions that was asked to the uh, new uh, new uh, comers was what superpower would you like to have nobody said humility <laughs> right we don't we don't want humility That's the gospel that has come to Crete and that's the gospel that changed. Can you, can you just imagine the, 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 the daring of the gospel into the dark citadel of Crete? And it changes and transforms life. That's what grace did. Modern strategists, if, if we were to say, okay, let's go do some church plant, will never consider going to Crete. Because they would look at all the statistics of people who have, you know, some openness towards the gospel and, and all of those uh, statistics that they have, the data crunching that they do, and then they realize, no, let's, I, I don't think we should go to Crete. But the gospel does. Grace did. It, it, it comes with an unacceptable hero. Foolishness to... Uh, to the Greek and weakness to the Jews or the other way, but it's the power of God to those who believe. Grace. And this grace has come, and we say here that grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And Paul understood about this grace. He's actually, he's actually called the apostle of grace. I'm not sure whether you knew this, but, but grace appears 124 times in the New Testament, of which 86 times Paul is the one who refers to it. Because Paul understood this grace appeared to him. He was the one who hunted down these Christians. He was the one who was confronted by Jesus himself. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And to him, that grace appeared. And so he writes about the beauty of this grace, this amazing grace that adds zing to a life, amazing zing to a life. That is what this amazing grace has done. But there are two or three kinds of people in this world, those who uh, have, to, uh, those upon whom grace has appeared, but are not willing to be trained, because that, that's what we read here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, training us. Okay, so grace has appeared, but they don't want to be trained. I'll give you an example. How many of you made a resolution on the 1st of Jan, 2023, not to make a resolution? You made a resolution not to make a resolution. You're going to hurt yourself for raising your hand. Because i tell you why. Because we, 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 we said we don't want to make a resolution because, you know what, I'm going to break it. Anyways, at the end of that day, I don't even have to wait a month. At the end of the day, I've already broken it, so I'm not going to make resolution. But here, here's what it is, my brothers and sisters, because when we make a resolution, we think that we are doing it in our own strength, but it's an opportunity to trust God. When I make a resolution, I'm saying, God, through your strength, I want to be able to do what I'm not able to do. I want to lean on you. I want to trust you. Resolution, therefore, is an opportunity to trust. So when you change this perspective, when you understand that I lost another opportunity, now you have to wait till 2024 to make your resolutions. So grace, 
that can train us. Or, or grace may not have appeared to you. And I want to, I want to, I, I, I really want to, uh, to, to stop here, pause here just long enough because I, I, I don't know if there's anybody in this group. Sometimes in a group like this, there will be somebody who's living a lie. Who's got this front, who's got the storefront syndrome. You put the storefront up and it's a beautiful picture on the front, but the life is in shambles at the backside. Because you haven't experienced grace, you haven't known what grace can do. This grace that has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, has not been real for you. Oh, I plead with you. I plead with you. I want you to shout out like John Newton. Oh, God, have mercy on me. This God, who who some of you just said grace is something, this undeserved, unmerited favor that can come to the slave trader like John Newton, to those like Paul that we spoke about, and to the many through history whose lives have been transformed because they recognize they can trust this God through whom this grace has come. You can trust this God. It's, a, it's grace of God that's, that's bringing salvation for all people. No one's excluded. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what kind of guilt you are trapped in. I don't know what kind of apathy you've gotten yourself into. Or I don't know what your state is. But it's a good time to be confronted by this grace. Grace that can change lives, transform it, make it real. Not just a traditional, not just a cultural kind of a faith, but a convictional faith can be yours. That's what this grace has done. That is what it, uh, that is why I like about this grace. It comes without discrimination. If you think you're messed up, I am worse than that. And Paul says he's the chief of sinners. And so, my brothers and sisters, my dear friends, don't delay too long on this beautiful offer of grace because you can never work to earn it. It can be yours. So don't be deceived into thinking being with CBF is what leads you into heaven. You will maybe miss, you may miss the mark because it's only Christ. It's only through grace that comes, that has appeared bringing salvation that will give you that hope that we've been talking about. But let me go to grace through incarnation. When we think about grace, we think about, a, think about grace as a New Testament uh, event, a grace that is uh, new, you know, just happened in the New Testament because Old Testament is about the law and the New Testament is about grace and so it's only in the New Testament. But Old Testament is littered with grace. If I were to ask you, what is the first instance you can tell me where grace appeared and your answer will be? Genesis, but be a little more specific. Chapter 3. You thank you. I mean, you guys are good. I was hoping to hear chapter 6 because that's where the first word, grace, appears. Grace, um, Noah found grace. That's the time the word grace appears. But grace appeared 
in Genesis 3. We touched on it in the first session, right? The serpent is cursed, the, the ground is cursed, and Adam and Eve, as they wait, what they get to hear is that this death that was to fall upon them is now going to fall on someone who would be revealed later, the seed of the woman, who is Jesus Christ himself, the idea of the substitute, which, is, which we see in a picture later as they covered with that coat of skin. That is grace appearing to them. Grace. How beautiful is, is, is that promise that they receive. And so he has the hope and he names Eve the mother of all. But turn to, uh, turn to uh, Noah, Noah uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse, verse 8. Or verse 9, let's first turn to verse 9. Genesis chapter 6. Sorry, I've got too many papers flying out. Genesis chapter 6, and I, this is important, that's why I want you to turn there, because it says in verse 9, there, these are the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. My question to you was, was Noah spared because he was righteous and blameless? Is that why he was spared, or was there another reason? It says here he was blameless and righteous. So you should assume that that's why God says, okay, I'm looking around and there's only George Martical who needs to get into the ark. Was that what happened? Sorry? Verse 8. Absolutely. Because if you look up about that, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God or of the Lord. And because grace was found, his response was of righteousness and blameless living. So it is, otherwise, it will be a works-based salvation. Otherwise, his salvation is not, uh, is the result of works. And he had something to boast. It is not. Uh, go to Joseph. When, when Joseph had gone through the suffering and through pain and, and grace had appeared to him, because in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil, but God meant it for good. He understood the grace of God that was upon him. Grace. Moses, I, I just love this passage about Moses. You see, Moses, the children of Israel had sinned at the, by, by bowing down and having this feast to the golden calf. And 3,000 people died. And right after, Moses insists on seeing the glory of God in Exodus chapter 33 and 18 and 19. He says, I want to see the glory of God. That was the reason why these people died. Because the glory of God was, they were trying to tarnish the glory of God. Glory of God was something you needed to run away from. But Moses says, no, I want to see the glory of God. And God, as he walked in front, uh, and he says there, I want to see, I'll, I'll, I'll make my goodness pass in front of you. We, we read in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, that the Lord, the Lord, the God merciful and gracious. Grace is part, the character of this God. You know, if you, if you come to Psalms, we read the expression, the beauty of his holiness. Have you paused long enough to ask, how can holiness be a beautiful thing? 
Holiness is something that should um, uh, strike fear in our hearts. Holiness is the reason why we are not able to come to God because of our sin. But this grace that has appeared, that has made us possible to come and approach this holy God, that the holiness of God is now to us a beautiful thing. It's because of the holiness of God that we can love God and, and we, we are in love with God. Holiness of God is great, it's good. Only for those who've seen the grace of God. You know, this verse in Hebrews chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, the Jews actually read it. It's the most quoted uh, passage in the Old Testament. And they call it the 13 attributes. They read it on the days of repentance. And, and they, they, they repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. But yet, they have not experienced grace. And, uh, <clears throat> but grace is, you know why grace is meaningful? Why does grace become meaningful? I was just telling somebody, uh, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't study Telugu, though I grew up in Hyderabad. I studied Sanskrit. And I passed because of grace. You know, I always wanted, needed three marks more to get to that passing mark, or five marks more to get to the passing mark. Grace. I, I needed grace because it's a consequence. If you, if you don't pass, there's a problem. Uh, people ask, how can a loving God, how can a loving God send people to hell? Because they haven't heard about this grace of God that has appeared to all men bringing salvation and it has come at the cost of his son. This grace is an expensive grace. It has come at the cost of, this, of, of his son who died on the cross. And so don't ever tell me that this God is not a loving God. It's because you dare to reject this offer. That if you say, no, I don't want this grace that has appeared to all people, that has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, it is because you said no. Blame yourself. This grace. Come with me to David. David. In Psalm 53, when the sin with Bathsheba was confronted, he writes the psalm at that time, and he realizes there's no sacrifice for intentional sin. In verse 6, we read, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would have brought it. He was a king. He could have brought a sacrifice, you know, not just one. He could have brought 10,000 sheep if he wanted, just to assuage the guilt. But he recognizes, no, what you need is not a sacrifice, but what you need, therefore, uh, what he needed is mercy and grace. In verse 1, Oh God, save me by your... Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm not reading. 51. Um, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Many, many, many examples of grace in the Old Testament. But now here when Titus is writing, he's saying grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. He is writing to say that has come in the form of a person. Grace has been incarnated. It's the epiphany. 
Epiphany means the appearance. What was not seen is now seen. Whom the angels had not seen is, is now seen in an incarnation. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This grace is among us. God with us. Emmanuel. He has come to tabernacle among us. We read that in John chapter 1. He has taken on a human body. He is the one who the apostles wrote in 1 John chapter 1. That we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched. This is this grace that has come incarnate. Jesus Christ, he has come. Every previous appearances of grace has been just a foreshadowing of this presence, of this present appearance of grace. And that's why Hebrew writer says, and long ago in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Grace that has appeared. So when we talk about grace, we also talk about Jesus Christ, the, the incarnate one who brings grace upon grace that we read in John chapter 1. Grace that has appeared. It comes without dis, dis, distinguishing people. I mean, it, it, it's ap- available for everybody. And it's the very coming down of the presence of this great God, the one that we sang about, the one that we we recognize as the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has himself come down. But we want to go to the next one, grace without demarcation or grace without limit. Uh, We don't limit this grace because we see in verse 11, grace saves us. We see that in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, being justified by his grace, we have become heirs. We've been justified by his grace. You know what justified means? Don't say as if you never sinned. Because if you say as if you've never sinned, it only means that you might sin tomorrow. You might just sin by saying that. Innocence is not what God brings us back to. So Adam was here. He was innocent. He fell. And in righteousness of Jesus Christ, I've been justified. So you can remember the J, J for Jesus. That righteousness would mean that the righteousness of Jesus is upon me as if I can never sin. Not because of me but because of Jesus. So justified by his grace. So if if he were to ask me, uh, you know, Adam and Eve, they were created without sin, and how can you assure me that, you know, this is not a cycle that's going to repeat itself, like history repeating itself. This is not history repeating itself. This is not to to happen uh, again and again and again. Once for all, this Jesus has died. He has given and he's brought righteousness. This grace that has come has brought righteousness. That's the beauty of this grace. But also... See this in verse 12, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see, this grace is not just a lifeguard 
It's become a life coach. Think about this. Imagine, I don't know how many of you go to a gym, have a personal trainer. I thought CBA was all buff people, but I don't know, okay. Uh, oh, you don't want to show that you've got a personal trainer, all right. But, but imagine this, you've got the best trainer. You've got the world's best trainer. You've got the world's best trainer. The, through grace, grace is going to train you. It's a life coach. Grace has a curriculum. Because grace puts you through this training. Training means a process. Training means it's not, you know, close your eyes, snap your fingers, and you transform this transformation, which happens as a process. It's a training process, and grace is the one that's training you. It's a lifelong process. It's this grace through sanctification. This passage is beautiful because it speaks about salvation and justification. It speaks about salvation and sanctification, which is what grace is training us. And there is this, uh, this idea where salvation, where we will be in this glorious, in the hope of this glorious coming, are that we would be made glorious one day. Right? And so, what does, what does grace tra- train us? Grace is training us to say no to the wrong things. What are the two things that it's training us to say no to? To ungodliness, say church. The second one is worldly passions. Ungodliness, which is things against God, ungod things. And then you have worldly passions, worldly passions, the, the desires that are against and contrary to God. In fact, in the parable of the sower, these passions that are written in Mark will tell you uh, is what chokes the word out of us. And so these worldly passions, this desire that we have for the world is what we say no to and any ungodliness. So it's training us. It's training us to say no. You find yourself standing in the, in the front of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you say no. That's what grace is training you to do, to say no. But to just not no, but it's going to train you to say yes. What is it training you to say yes to? It's training you to say yes to live self-controlled, which is to yourself, self-control, and then upright, which is towards others, and godly lives, which is towards God in the present age. Three directions in which grace is teaching you. Not controlling others, but controlling yourself, living upright with others, so that they see that this grace is doing something dramatic and transformative in your life, and that you live godly life towards God. That's what grace is training you to do. Grace trains you to say no and to say yes. I, I, I don't know how many of you uh, like reading up history and you know, watch documentaries. I thought I saw somebody, one of the newcomers liking, uh, likes to watch documentaries. But I like it too. Uh, Recently, I was uh, reading through the railroad, the transatlantic railroad that was laid in 1869 that connected the East Coast to the West Coast of the U.S. 
Uh, long story short, I won't go into everything else, but just to know that before the railroad was laid, it would take six months to get from the East Coast to the West Coast. The three possible ways they would have to go down to the, uh, to, uh, the, uh, to the bottom uh, and go through and go under the, uh, the South America and come up to California. Or they would come down to the Panama and they would have to trek across about, uh, I don't know how many miles, I forget, but they would have to trek across and take another ship at the other end and go up. Or they would take a covered wagon, a horse. You would have seen them in westerns. That would take about six months to go to the other side. And the railroad was laid, and eventually it would take only six days to cross from east to west. So this conversation is between the uh, covered wagon and the railroad. The the covered wagon is telling the railroad, uh, the train... Uh, saying that, who do you think you are? You just, you just came here. I've been here for centuries. I've been doing this for a long time. You are limited to the track. I can go where I want. I can go up the mountain. I can go through, you know, on uh, cross rivers. I can go on desert. I can go on a rocky plain. But you are limited to the rail. So, you know, what do you think? You can ever do anything better than me. And the railroad would say this. I have learned to say no to everything but to stay on track. I have learned to stay on track. Because when I, lay, when I stay on track, I go faster, I move much, and I'm more efficient and more effective. It's grace is training us to stay on track, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passion, and to say and to live self-controlled and godly and, and upright lives. Learning to say no to the wrong things and saying yes to the right things. So sanctification is really like a gym, right? Training you, training you to say no. And it's possible to train yourself in the wrong way. I mean, those of you who go to the gym, you know there's a way to train because if you don't, you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, let, me, let me give you this example. In Second Peter... Chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice, entice unsteady souls, and they have hearts trained in greed. Hearts can be trained for the wrong things. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Or if you turn to 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, train them, be trained in godliness. So, Training can be done. Any training doesn't, doesn't help. It's learning. It's this grace that is training to say no to the wrong things and saying yes to the right thing. So how do we connect this to the discipleship? That's important, right? Because we were saying this, this, this discipleship is about this gospel being lived out. And, and we said, too, that that it means that I have to now have this effort of saying no to the wrong thing and saying yes to the right thing. But is it, is it just me? Is it just my effort? Then I can't. I'm going to fail. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2.22. I think this, this, this is a good example to, to latch on to, to make that clear. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. 
<clears throat> so flee youthful passions. So you got to flee youthful passions. That is, flee from. You got to flee from something. But you're not fleeing anywhere and everywhere. That'll be scattering, right? So you flee from something, but you have to flee to something. And this fleeing to is pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So you flee from and flee to, but stay with me, you have to flee with, along with those who, are, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see the idea of discipleship coming in there? The idea of how grace trains you? You see, grace trains you. It's the effort. Colossians 1.29. I labor, I toil hard with his power working, uh, his energy, his spirit working uh, powerfully in me. And so discipleship, when we speak about this, is not self-energy. It is not our strength. And so you're confusing me, you would say. Like, did you just say, I don't need to do anything? No, I didn't say that. It's a 100% effort. But are you saying that uh, grace is training me? I said, yes. It's a 100% grace. 100% effort and 100% of this and his energy that works in me to transform me. So that as I flee from the wrong thing, as I flee to the right thing, I flee with the saints of God. This is not a battle that you're running on your own. You're fleeing with. That's the beauty of this Christian faith. Because otherwise, you'll fill yourself with guilt. Otherwise, you are repeating the very things that you tried to do before you were saved when, with self-effort. You wanted to please God, and you couldn't. And you recognize you needed God. So how is it that you can live with your own effort, you cannot. You need God. But you work, you yield, you, you have to say no. Turn to Job, Job chapter 1, verse 1. I like this passage in Job. It says in verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He turned away from evil. It means that as he's going, he recognizes there's something wrong. He turns away from evil. He, he would turn away. He would take that effort through the strength that God would give him, the grace that has been training him. Your personal trainer trains you to do something, but you got to flex Grace trains you. You know, in chapter 2, Second uh, uh, Timothy 2.22, it says, flee youthful passions and, and uh, immorality. It speaks about, that's the word pornea. The word pornea is the same word as pornography that we have right now. Uh, one of the things that's the blight of a lot of young people is pornography, and they haven't even recognized they are addicted to pornography. What happens when you go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is, it's so easily accessible. And that one hit or one look can latch you on. And you, you're not, if you don't take 
effort to snatch yourself away. If you don't hold yourself accountable to someone who would say, hey, I want to watch what you're watching and make sure that they hold you accountable, you will be addicted back to these passions that pulls you back. And so you take uh, precautions. You would, you would say, I'm going to block. I'm going I'm I'm to go to that ad, ad Google and say, this is an offensive ad. I don't want to see it. If you don't take effort, the Spirit of God is not going to block that for you. You got to do the effort because you want to tell this, that I hate that evil, that sin that has so besetted me. I hate it. I want to run away. I don't have the strength, but I don't want it. Because you don't want it, you can be sure of this grace of God that will give you liberty. It will not be you boasting when you run away. You will know this is God. But you've got to get up and, and, and move as the prodigal son did. And so this is not about uh, you know, self-effort. This is not motivational that we are trying to talk about here. You cannot do it. That's period but you've got to do it. We live in the paradox of grace. The paradox of grace. Because in verse 14, we'll come back to 13, grace sustains us. The goal of grace, the curriculum of grace, the, the curriculum goal of, this, of grace is in verse 14, so that we'll be passionate for good works. That we want to say that we, we, want to, we, we wake up and we do only what is right. I don't want to do what is wrong. I hate it. And I don't want it. I'm going to get up and run. I'm going to flee from and flee to and flee with. And grace sustains us. You know that word passionate is the same word as zealot. Which means like Simon the zealot. One of the disciples of Jesus Christ. The zealots. It means a fanatical and uncompromising pursuit of this goal, of this ideal. Fanatic and uncompromising. Would you want to do, be that? Would, it be a, would you want to be a fanatic for grace? I sure want. I sure want. Do I fail? I sure do. Will I let guilt hold me back? I will not. Because it is not my energy. Because the Holy Spirit, when he sees that I've fallen, will come and he will convict me of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He does and he, he tells me what this righteousness, the beauty of holiness, and not with guilt, but with this, with this speaks, speaking this uh, truth and love to my heart, creating in me this joy for the Lord more than the joy for the sin that, that I so easily fall to. Some of us get addicted. It's fall again and get up again, fall again and get up again. We are running this race by falling and getting up again. And, and that's okay too. But get up each time through the strength that God gives you. Not let the devil guilt you. Let me give you another one. I don't know, uh, because I think this is, this is important. So that's why, let me, let me take you to Acts chapter 3. This is one thing which, which really I, I have always loved 
and found solace to my heart. In chapter 3, verse 13 of Acts, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he decided to release him. But you, you, you denied the Holy and the Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But you denied the Holy One. This is Peter speaking. And we say, Peter, hey, hey, Peter, pause, 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 pause. Don't, 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 don't just say you denied. What about you? You, you denied the Lord three times. And Peter would say, yes, I denied. But my grace that I found, this grace that I have found, that appeared to me, has released me from the guilt. I'm no more bound by guilt for the denial that I've had. Grace that sustains. And we said, discipleship is becoming Christ-like. It is exactly this, being passionate for good works. Passionate for good works. And how do we live, therefore, in the light of this glorious appearance? We want to be like the master, the disciple becoming like the master. We have that in verse 13. This grace that excites us, this hope that we have. Let me read to you Titus chapter 2 verse 13, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory. So in verse 11, there's an appearance. Grace of God has appeared. That's the gracious appearance. When you get to verse 13, we have this glorious appearance. We're waiting for the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is going to appear? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is called God. It is not God the Father who's been referred to it. This is God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And it's glorious only for them who have understood this appearance, this first appearance of grace. For them who have been justified. For them who have been sustained. For them who have been trained by grace. For them, this appearance, this glorious appearance is indeed a glorious appearance. That hope sustains me. That hope tells me that, that I'm, not, uh, I'm not just left in a vacuum, just hoping against hope, against hope that, oh, one day I'll get rescued from this misery, but there's grace with me. Grace that saved me is grace with me. And I know, as we read in Psalm 23, that it'll lead me home. How beautiful. How beautiful. That's the grace that we've been talking about. So don't guilt yourself when you fall, brothers and sisters. Grace trains us. We don't train ourselves. We are not self-trainers. But this is what we do. How do we live it on a daily basis? It's like an exercise. I don't know if I have that up there. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. First of all, no. No. Find yourself at the foot of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil every day. You will find yourself. These are moments of decision. And there, often the serpent, the world the culture, the flesh, or whatever it be, is going to ask you, did God really say? 
Isn't your God a gracious God? You can sin as many times as you want and just go back and just say, God, I'm sorry, and he'll just take you back. Isn't that what God said? And you would have to say yes. But that's cheapening grace. Grace that cost his son. That is not the grace that we're talking about. So you find yourself at that, at, in the front of that tree and you have to know that you are standing there. You've got to make a decision and then you've got to discern because grace is going to train you. Grace is going to say what is right and what is wrong. You have to learn. It, it trains you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, but yes to self-control and uprightness and godliness. Day upon day upon day upon day, we will fight this battle to discern and not eat of that fruit. We'll say no, and we will persevere because grace sustains, grace gives hope, and this grace will take me home. What a blessed, glorious hope we have. God bless you.